When you wake up, you didn't even know you were asleep to start with. You realize something's terribly wrong. You can hear some sort of commotion behind you, but all you can see when you look forward is a bunch of shadows dancing on the wall. There's light behind you. Maybe fire. It smells like it's fire. And the shadows are dancing all around. And every now and again, somebody walks by the fire behind you where you're chained, blocks the light, and so you just see this massive, gigantic shadow blockading the light, which is somewhat terrifying because in the distance you think you can hear something bubble bubbling, toil and troubling. That might not be good. And the language they're chanting, it sounds like some sort of goblin language or something. Uh, It's a problem. You start to relax initially because you remember an allegory in philosophy in Plato that talks about the cave in his Republic. He's comparing the difference between the reflected light bouncing off the walls in the cave for the fire to the full light of day when you emerge from the cave and you're in the the full sun in all of its glory. Because for Plato, he believes that this world is a shadow, a reflection of the uh, true world, the world where the forms, the world where everything is perfected. We don't experience that world. We're... Uh, excluded from it unless we study and do a lot of intellectual exercises and uh, try to be in accord with uh, uh, with for Plato, with the good. The more virtuous you are, the more virtues you have according to the wish to perfect those virtues. You um, are on a kind of journey. Um, Neoplatonism, it's a term we can argue about, uh, actually seems to indicate that, in in a way, Plato doesn't appear to as directly, but I may be wrong, where your soul is trying to reascend back to its source from whence it came. The problem is, there's two things going on at once that are both abstract and very confusing. One is... when you're engaging in this sort of intellectual uh, voyage of discovery, um, I lost my train of thought. Oh, well. Um, Anyway, you're still in the bloody cave, and uh, you start to try to relax because you think, oh, no problem, It's, it's just Plato's Republic. And then, to your horror, you're able to determine that this is not Plato's cave, because behind you are a dozen gigantic trolls with a gargantuan pot boiling it over the fire. You're able to turn your head a few degrees. You can see it out of the corner of your eye. There's no getting out of this one. The trolls are going to eat you. That'll be the end. But maybe they'll be kind and while you're waiting for being the sacrificial victim. No, no, forget that, no. There are no uh, iPhones back in uh, 400 BCE. 
Nah, you don't even, you get nothing. You're just gonna die. In any case, this is an experiment um, that I am attempting to record. I'm actually outside. It's a summer night. Where are the damn crickets? Where are the crickets? Well, in any event, uh, you're listening to The Rogue Philosopher. Uh, this episode and the following episode, and maybe more if the topic carries me away, is a response to one of my favorite shows, uh, at least for the last five or ten years. Uh, Dark. There's a program on Netflix, it's simply called Dark. It has two seasons, and they're actually shooting on the third as we speak. They're, they're going into uh, uh, the actual making of the show. Uh, the acting and all. I don't remember the term for that anymore. And I'm not going to say anything in this episode. This episode is called Sic Mundus Creatus Est. Right? Uh, thank God for Google Translate and that I can memorize short phrases. My Latin's not very good at all. Uh, something to the effect of I created the world. Uh, something to that effect. Sic Mundus Creatus Est. The, the show has many intriguing themes that are drawn directly from esoteric studies, primarily uh, hermeticism as synthesized in its syncretic uh, balance between the Greek and the Egyptian. Hermeticism, which... Making gold from lead is it the least of its goals, and in fact the weakest goal. And it is very intriguing in this very dark show that it's such a central axis, the whole idea of uh, the, the emerald tablet and the uh, Asclepius. The Asclepius, the tri, the triqueta. I've heard it pronounced triquatra. I'm not sure. Uh, three is a number repeating over and over again in the show, and there are a few recurrent symbols that uh, come up again and again. And my love of the show. And a lifelong interest in hermetical alchemical gnosis, whatever you call it, Neoplatonism, is coming into play. So I'd like to do this episode, Sigmundos Creatus Est, as an overview of various strands of, of religious interpretations guided by, at its source, uh, the Corpus Hermeticum, uh, the Egyptian uh, Egypt, uh, He's known as Thoth in Egypt. In, in uh, Greece, it's Hermes, the thrice greatest, um, the teacher of, of uh, alchemy, of magical arts, of healing. And as I say, I've had a lifelong interest 
in this topic. And this show inspires me, and I wanted to try to branch out as well. I don't want to be caught in a, 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 a rut. Uh, so here we are. We're in the um, we're in the room. <laughs> Actually, outside smoking. Got my pipe. I'd look the philosopher if you could see me. But there don't appear to be any damned crickets, which is strange. Oh, no, well, never mind. The mythological issues in the show are primarily Greek. With a scant amount of space uh, taken up uh, by our cultural uh, axis, the foundation is uh, Judeo-Christian. But this show, uh, along with a number of really strange concepts and ideas, draws primarily from from the Greek. Uh, there are different texts that flash on the screen throughout the seasons. The one I'm most familiar with in terms of having read it before, but it was a long time ago, is... Hmm. The Kybilion, which was written by pseudonym, synonymous authors uh, called the Three Initiates. And while it does draw upon some of the rubric of alchemy, it in and of itself is more like a self-help book, uh, new thought, than it is like an actual explication of the alchemical uh, and hermetic religion. Now, there are... Alchemy and hermeticism are ultimately... Uh, interchanged without real consideration that there is a slight difference because alchemy exists in all the major peoples and nations of the world um Uh, what was I saying? Um, like a self-help book, the Kybelion, um, the Emerald Tablet, which appears many times in the show also, as both a symbol and in an actual texts. Uh, there's a number of references. The number three, rep repetitive symbol a lot. Uh, alchemy deals with trines in many of its um, analyses, uh, philosophical, theological and, of course, in the show Dark, the number three is exceptionally important for any number of reasons. Now, and there are a number of ways in our day-to-day -day life where we experience three, a trinary, uh, not least of which is the Christian Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But in the alchemy days... It might have uh, it would have embraced the trinary in a more pagan slash neo pagan uh, motif. Alchemy is far more than turning lead into gold. Turning lead into gold, obviously, rulers aren't happy with that because you can counterfeit. 
uh, fake gold that you've designed for real gold. So in a lot of the Middle Ages, they practiced alchemy, risking their lives to do it. It's a penalty of death, treason. But alchemy and hermeticism uh, tends to permeate and interact with a number of very intense uh, religious explications. In the ancient world, you have Neoplatonism, which that term, I, I'll use it for the sake of simplicity. We, we know it as laymen in our experience uh, uh, of that philosophy that began with Plotinus in around 270 BCE. No, wait, sorry, CE, Common Era. You can have um, alchemy in other nations that may not have ever heard of, or if it did, it only heard it tangentially at a distance. Because there's alchemy in the Indian subcontinent. They have Ayurvedic alchemy. Uh, there's Chinese alchemy, <clears throat> strongly related to Taoism. What's remarkable about these independent uh, traditions uh, of alchemy and hermeticism uh, that are identical, almost in, in a number of ways, the same kind of balances, structures, uh, the same appealing to uh, balance, being in accord with nature. The idea that <clears throat> the metals in the earth are, are living and they grow. Because in that time period, the ancient uh, Greek Hellenistic world, uh, I'm not sure I lost my place again, with their obsession with the number three, uh, it could be past, present, and future. It could be reflective of patterns in your life. Um, the three primary explications of the alchemical work uh, uh, I can't remember them all off the top of my head. Uh, leavening, fermentation, uh, transformation. Uh, I'm not, I'm blurring out on the first one. Well, never mind. There are three stages of development. Uh, several cultures, in, including the ancient Hebrews, have the idea of, of threes all through their, their theology. Um, of course, it's most commonly understood in Christian terms. Alchemy is a process by which one... It's not just about changing the metals and evolving the metals. Let's wait for this truck. Um... The Chinese alchemy relies on Taoism and the five elements, uh, earth, air, f fire, water, and wood. And then, of course, in the Western, it's, it's fire, water, earth, air, and quintessence, which is a different thing altogether. The soul in Judaism has three levels, uh, nefesh, ruach, and neshama. These are three levels of the soul. First one is merely the physical body and its, its levels of consciousness as we experience it in our day-to-day -day lives. The ruach is the breath. It has more to do with intelligence, with the intellect, the breath of life, and to have a living soul. Uh, you're in accord with a certain level. 
Uh, but of course, the end goal is the return of the soul to where it came from, if you're a Neoplatonist. Uh, if you're a Gnostic, when you've reached the full development in your soul, you can escape the Archons, which are uh, sort of demonic entities that keep the earth in bondage. Um, and then, of course, uh, as, as clearly explicated by Paracelsus, uh, sulfur, mercury, and salt. And these connote different levels of uh, the soul's development as well in this trinary structure. A lot of alchemical traditions in the Middle Ages, what we understand as, as alchemy in the West, drew from, uh, at various times, it drew from uh, the mysticisms of the three Abrahamic religions. Whereas before Christianity, even Judaism, it, it was primarily a Greek and an Egyptian movement. Alchemy, al, is the, of course, Arabic, A-L, the, and chemia. Uh, of course, we think of chem as the root for the word chemistry, chemia, which means black, the black land at the delta of the Nile. Uh, the Egyptians, the, the, this is the art of uh, the black soil, the black land, the most fertile land in the Egyptian Nile River uh, delta and basin and all. Um, but as Christianity and Judaism and then Islam came to the fore, they took up alchemy with some nervousness, uh, but on the other hand, especially in the Middle Ages in the Muslim countries, they wanted to know as much as they could. It's called the translation movement. And their purpose was to enrich their intellect and to know everything. And so they revived much of the alchemical treatises, many of which had been destroyed when the library at Alexandria burned to the ground. Hermeticism often is interacting with Gnosticism and Neoplatonism. There are somewhat different conclusions in this, but the ultimate idea, which is present in Gnosticism, Christian mysticism, Jewish mysticism, the idea is about evolving and, and correcting the soul or experiencing the divine in a consciousness, altering experience that's experiencing gnos, the mind, gnosis, the divine mind, whereas the Gnostics want to escape the earth and they hold the body in utter contempt. It's a prison. The Neoplatonists do not wish to be led around by the desires of their body, after all, because it's, it's the shadow. And in Christian alchemy, oftentimes the goal is to perfect the heart um, through the alchemical journey, which, if one is Christian, as Paracelsus was, the more uh, in balance uh, the more advanced you are as, a, as an alchemical magus, draws you closer to the love of Christ. In, in, in Christianity, Christ, he is the heart, he is the center, the purity of, of love. Of divine love.
Now, this, this, of course, past, present, and future. Uh, and there are a number of symbols. Also in the show Dark, they talk a lot about uh, Goethe, who I'm not as well read in, uh, going through the labyrinth. And they talk a lot about mazes and... Um, um, other critical plot points when it takes that trinary. Um, but the show is, it's two seasons. It's very, very dark, indeed. It's very intelligent. It's a, a very spooky show, meant more for a cerebral, as a cerebral entertainment, right? The the recurrence of, of several themes I've mentioned in uh, Christianity, in Goethe, I don't know Goethe very well, the going through the maze seems to be the metaphor that is reached for in the show. In some manner or other, it has to do with, with traveling in a maze on a long journey. Now, What I want to do, without giving away any spoilers in this episode, kind of delve a bit into the various concepts and ideals uh, surrounding alchemy, interwoven with it. Um, all three of the Abrahamic religions it valued very highly. Uh, by the time you reach the Renaissance, <clears throat> it draws as much from the Jewish Kabbalah as it does from any other movements. In fact, uh, early on, the theologians discovered in the Kabbalah, as they saw it, in uh, the Book of Splendor, the Zohar, they found a lot of evidence that to them meant that even by their mysticism, they are deifying and reflecting the reality of the presence and existence of Jesus Christ. But Hermeticism is one of those movements that, in the same way that Neoplatonism is taken upon, taken up by the doctors of the church, Christians, it's also... Uh, I keep losing my thought. I don't understand. Um, and um, another element the show delves into, and I'll be a little less interested in doing this initially, but if you read Friedrich Nietzsche, there's a segment in Friedrich Nietzsche that, if not verbatim, that the show is powerfully affected by. And since I want to recommend you watch Dark on Netflix, I'm not going to precisely explain how this is the case. But it is. In the Kabbalistic mysticism, uh, scholars think that it began in the 13th century. Uh, a later incarnation of a form of mysticism, uh, initially it was called the, the Hecolot, uh, where you would travel up to heaven, and you would travel through seven different levels of it. 
and interact with the divine. And in Islam, alchemy led to tremendous advances in chemistry and medicine. Um, the Philosopher's Stone, in its literal uh, explanation, means you can live forever, and it means that you have access to all the wisdom, you have access to a state of matter that, among other things, can help you create endless piles of gold. The Philosopher's Stone, uh, more metaphorically for the Christian, is oneness with Christ. A kind of mystical union uh, between the two. Um, Hermeticism itself drew from the ancient Greece and ancient Egypt. You go back far enough, it's called Tahuti in the ancient Egyptian, where your goal, it isn't just to make gold. It's to encourage your own personal growth. Because as above, so below. Everything is reflected. Uh, the course of maturity uh, of, of, of a person's soul through the different elements of uh, the fire perfecting these different metals in different stages. Uh, in the Kabbalah, especially the Toledano tradition of mystical Kabbalah, and then later taken up and sort of re uh, rehabilitated, I guess, in a way, by Dion Fortune, these things fall into Western magic. Superficially, sorry, God, bugs. Superficially, the alchemical drawings of the Tree of Life, which is a map for the development of, of, of the soul. There are ten spheres, sephirot, and they are at trinary levels. So, for instance, you have the sphere. Let's say you have mercy. It's one of the uh, spheres, chesed. It's directly opposed to judgment. And... In the middle, the heart is what mediates. Depending on which branch of the Kabbalah you're studying, uh, the more practical, magical Kabbalah is, is what was grafted onto the alchemical explorations of the Christian monks and theologians. And in time, the Kabbalah also influenced different magicians, underground movements. It superficially looks the same as the traditional theosophical uh, diagram for the Jewish Kabbalah, but the two couldn't be more different in their content, even though they're taking on the trappings and the rubric of uh, mystical Judaism. They're far from that. But there is mystical elements in alchemy, uh, the awakening of the soul, the ability to extend one's life, to draw positive, blessed energy down to you. It's a theurgical uh, movement, and not strictly a Kabbalah. They take a lot of influence from Kabbalah, but they are not uh, Kabbalists.
There are passages in the Book of Splendor in the Zohar that talk about the red light and the white light. And depending on which school of Kabbalah you may subscribe to, it could mean a number of different things. Uh, these colors could mean these are the colors reflected by the changes in the metal as it evolves in the mixtures. Uh, black to white to red, cinnabar, mercury. Mercury is very important in alchemy. Mercury is a universal solvent. And as such, when you're aiming the development and redemption of your soul through this, you evolve through the different metals. Metals are states of consciousness. They're drawing it from sephirot, but the uh, the very theosophical structure of traditional Kabbalistic movements uh, has a totally different agenda to it than the alchemy. In some sense, they resemble each other, but they are not not the same thing at all. For the Kabbalist alchemy, they, through meditation of various ceremonies and rituals, are taking on each of the ten sephirot on the tree of life. And in each one of these, there are different energy systems, different states of emotional regulation, of mental clarity, of uh, the form of action. And one tries to ascend the cosmic tree uh, to Ketar, which is the unknowable, the, 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 the ceiling, right? Now, sorry, these bugs are killing me. I have spent a lot of time reading about alchemy. I've spent a lot of time studying these different mystical movements, many, many decades. It's, it's um, oh, almost 25 years. So I have a pretty good idea of source materials that I can draw upon, which, of course, if I'm saying something more specifically, I will also say the text that it's from. The Kybelion itself actually appears in the show, in dark, along with the Emerald Tablet. Uh, I'm sure there are others. I can't recall them all right now. But I've read them or nearly all of them. And there's also a segment, I, I think I'm reiterating myself, but in uh, actually the, the idea that they're drawing from too for part of the show comes from a certain concept in Nietzsche's work, Thus Spoke Zarathustra. Watch Dark first. I highly recommend it. And then reread Nietzsche's Thus Spoke Zarathustra, and you'll see uh, where some of this is coming from. The show has a lot to do with free will, uh, with time, with events, causal, causality. And I won't go into more initially... Um, I'll try to go into the esoteric movements inspired by alchemy, or alchemy itself. As an independent religion, Hermeticism, in and of itself, hasn't existed for oh, 1,500 years. Um, 
to be revived in the 19th century by esoteric groups like the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, the Theosophical Society, Alice Bailey, uh, and as I said, you know, Dion Fortune. Arthur Edward Waite was a scholar of magic. Uh, all his books are written about mysticism. And these movements all borrow concepts from each other. That is to say, Neoplatonism, in its, especially in its later incarnation, was a movement of theurgical um, connection to the upper realms, to the divine. So I need to explicate what the, uh, theurgical means. Theurgy is a form of white magic, uh, whereby uh, through chanting, singing, some sort of ritual... Uh, intense concentration, various, to some degree, exercises or the virtues of uh, a given part of the transformation as you create gold from lead. As it draws closer to gold, it takes on more of the attributes of gold. And that also ties in the Manichaean, Ideas, and they originally came from Babylon, of the planets, the seven spheres. Each each planet represents a different level of awareness, revelation uh, for the for the person walking the path. The planets represent different energy systems, different emotional balances. Um, this can all be interpreted psychologically as well. If people are a little leery of sounding too new agey or too whatever, because young. It was no accident that Carl Gustav Jung devoted so much of his scholarly work in his later life to alchemy, to the implications of the forces that alchemy draws upon to help a person heal psychologically. These are all different states, and they, they can be experienced sensorily and emotionally uh, by the adherent of these disciplines. I'm not even going to pretend this is an exhaustive survey. It's nowhere near. Even though I've had a lifelong interest in it, there's, there's much that I don't know or I'm not well acquainted with. But as I go along, I'll give you different texts to look into, consult, uh, or suggest that help reveal all of its facets. And there are many facets of alchemy and hermeticism. The the characters in the show I'm, I'm going to step away for a moment here. I thought I was more awake. train of thought in my head. This is remarkable. Remarkable. The seven planets represent seven different different metals in the alchemical opus. So, 
they've combined it with astrology as well. Um, each planet, different metal, different energy system, straight out of astrology. For instance, Mars is, is war and red. So its metal is iron. Uh, the moon is mercury, quicksilver. The sun is gold, etc. And the purpose is to delve into these stages of the of the great work. Magnum opus. The great work is what an alchemist has devoted themselves completely to his own salvation and the perfecting of this art for its healing capacities, very deep wisdom. Hmm. There are a number of excellent academic studies as well as Treatises written by the practitioners of it. Now, there's an interesting interplay between the scholarship of Western esotericism and its actual practice. So oftentimes, you'll have very scholarly practitioners of these arts, such as G.R.S. Mead, who writes about it through the lens of, uh, of theosophy. Reincarnation, etc. Mm. Uh, the ultimate goal in the modern world now, through Jungian psychology, is the perfecting and the healing of, of the soul through alchemical development. And he found, Jung that is, that he would have patients who related their dreams to him. And allegorically speaking, he figured out very quickly, okay, they're passing through an alchemical initiation into the higher mysteries, or from the Jungian perspective, self-actualization. And if one draws from the Kabbalah, correction, tikkun it's called. That by addressing and correcting the flaws in the microcosm, you will also have an effect on the macrocosm. So... Being in accord with these forces means you're changing the balance of the, uh, of the universe. There are a number of different branches of Kabbalah. Uh, the Christians created an alchemical model based on their readings in the alchemical texts and Judaism. And the Kabbalah was initially the means that uh, Ramon Lal wanted to use to prove once and for all that uh, Jesus Christ is the Savior. And he thought Kabbalah 
because it's so underground, it isn't mainstream. Expresses the reality of Christ. But his efforts to use their own system to convert them to Christianity didn't succeed as he wished, but it enriched the alchemy. It enriched the worldview that they drew upon in the Renaissance. And as such, there are several different interpretive streams in the West of Kabbalah. There's Kabbalah with a Q, which is the Hermetic Kabbalah. Uh, people like Arthur Edward Waite, Alistair Crowley, uh, Dion Fortune. When they spoke of Kabbalah, they meant Western magic. Western theurgical or outright magical rituals and uh, spells. The Golden Dawn drew from a number of sources and amalgamated them all together. Kind of neo-syncretism. Modern day. Kabbalah is a Hebrew word that simply means to receive. Depending on the branch of Kabbalah, it determines how they explain how what you receive from the upper source, the upper worlds, how that uh, can be altered by your behaviors, your prayers, your intentions, kavanah. Now the Lurianic, uh, uh, the Lurianic theosophical, for lack of a better word, a theoretical Kabbalah has nothing to do with this. For its goal is, is uh, the perfection of the soul and by extension, perfecting the world. The world's soul, which is a, originally that concept is discovered in Plotinus, in the Six Aeneids. Uh, hmm. And later on in the Renaissance to the Age of Enlightenment, esoteric secret orders the Freemasons being the most obvious, draw upon these ideas as well to enrich their own ideology. Um, Lurianic Kabbalah would have nothing to do with practical Kabbalah, with magic. They reject, reject that. But indirectly, depending on the interpretation of Luria's works, uh, how one engages with this material is is um, is altered, and through prayer and through intention, you can alter the very structure of the universe. Uh, In, in the case of Luria, he was a, a mystic's mystic. And although he died still as a young man, his legacy is, it, it, it 
cannot be contained by words. He had such a great effect on Judaism directly and on the Abrahamic religions indirectly. Uh, I keep losing my train of thought. Um, These allegories are reconstructed by Freemasonry, from what little I know of Freemasonry, which is also to do with perfection, perfecting, uh, by working on your connections to your fellow men or fellow humans, by being kind, by giving charity, you're building and perfecting the soul, but you're also building and perfecting the temple, the lodge. And so, again, depending on uh, the practitioner's viewpoint, you might be repairing the world. You might be drawing upon the forces inside yourself with your uh, fellow students who study the Kabbalah together. One is asking through a theurgical ritual. Now, this isn't all Kabbalah. By doing this, by perfecting this in ritual, your connection to your neighbor, love thy neighbor as thyself, it corrects and restores. Uh, They might consider it building the third temple, uh, which is supposed to call the Messiah. Christian Kabbalah uses various techniques that they took from the Judeo Kabbalah. Numerology and gematria being the most direct, where you take different words, and in Hebrew, each letter has a number assigned to it, and each letter has its own meaning. And so, by engaging in these numerological gematria exercises, again, the goal for Christians is union with Christ with perfecting one's relationship to society helps perfect your relationship with Jesus. Uh, his end is he is perfect, so it's up to, uh, to the human being to reach out and embrace the Christ. And then that's a means of finding salvation. <clears throat> um, there were a lot of heretical movements influenced by it, and there are a lot of... It's almost like a call and response. Call and response. Mystical Kabbalah influences the alchemists, influences uh, Protestant theologians like Jacob Boime. Mm. Um, remarkably... Each, there are different nations and cultures that draw upon this. And in certain aspects, they do uh, appropriate interpretations from uh, the Jewish Kabbalah, and they rewrite them to clarify the divinity, influence of the divine. Um, some become magicians. They call it Kabbalah with a Q or a C. Uh, the first letter is a Q. You're dealing with Hermetic Kabbalah. If it's a C, you're dealing with Christian Kabbalah. There are a number of different movements in Judaism 
that word is K, K-A-B-B-A-L-A-H. And all of them are affected by the uh, Zohar. Luria didn't write anything down, his uh, most advanced student, named Chaim Vital, turned Luria's thought into uh, into several volumes of Luria's thought. How should society treat one another? Uh, how should you? How can you elevate yourself and uh, and improve and correct and, and ask the divine to do so for you? on your behalf all the way to a form of white magic similarly for the tarot tarot cards can be used as sort of a western christian kabbalistic magic or even outright uh, direct magic, someone like Giordano Bruno. Hmm. One ascends through increasingly powerful uh, emanations from the Godhead. Each, each time you uh, take a step up the ladder, up the tree of life, or the ladder to the sky, you're under the influence of a different metal, according to it. Uh, Hebrew letters have their own meanings. Each letter has a word and a number that is part of it. You can rearrange letters in a word, and find the hidden meanings of that word in its rearrangement. So the text, the text might say one thing, but if you go through and you scramble the words and the different letters, they mean different things. And so in this case, each, each word in Kabbalah is a name of the divine itself. Uh, Ten sefirot, twenty-two paths. Mm. Come on. Um, in the alchemical writings, all of them refer to the Kabbalah as being the inspirational source, an inspirational source that that helped them do the great work. And because alchemy was was uh, criminal, even Newton was an alchemist, Isaac Newton. But they had to learn to disguise what they were saying in allegory. But each different allegorical explanation contains its own secrets. And it helps clarify explaining the stages in the great work. So, matter... 
Matter isn't something dead. In our world, where we're rational, we're detached by hundreds of years from a more integrated worldview of correspondences. For us, matter is non-living chemical elements. And so the modern practitioner, either psychologically through Jungianism or through a more direct actual practice of alchemy, and now you are restoring life to matter. Now, 2,000 years ago, they understood matter was alive. Everything is alive. And they had a less dualistic understanding of our universe. Matter, living matter, non-living matter, dead. But you're able to extract life from the metals, which are themselves growing and alive. They grow in the earth. But we can speed up that process through alchemy and its evolution, a kind of evolution before evolution. We can escape the prison. We can free people. Come on. There we go. A more modern Kabbalah has two primary streams. There are many more, but two that are clearest to outsiders. Uh, of course, the Kabbalah Center, Madonna, Berg. is sort of a New Age movement. Uh, they interpret most of the concepts differently from the theoretical Kabbalah. The theoretical Kabbalah... It isn't so much about the magical aspects of Kabbalah. It's more concerned with the improvement of, our, of a society and how we lived and how we treat one another through these certain behaviors. You, you can call the, the light from the upper worlds down to help people evolve. But it has nothing to do with any kind of white magic or in magic in general, in any capacity. A lot of the movements in the West are very magical. And these movements borrow quite heavily from one another. These different streams influence and help create each other with the passage of, of history. Uh... Of course, the elixir of life, uh, one can live forever. The philosopher's stone can heal any disease. It's a kind of a unified field theory um, for the Renaissance. And then the age of reason and uh, it's the resurgence of mysticism and alchemy. Uh, uh, not... 
it's not a small thing that when they discovered the uh, papyri buried in the desert, uh, the Nag Hammadi Gospels, it had a lot of other works in it as well. It wasn't just alternate stories of, of Jesus Christ. It was the Corpus Hermeticum. Uh, there were some texts written by the Essenes, the Dead Sea Scrolls, that they also found in Qumran, but they certainly found a few in the Nag Hammadi Codexes as well. Now, the show... I'll go into more depth uh, in the next segment once I've escaped all the bags. Uh, the show, from what I can gather, draws primarily from the Western Strand with a Q. Uh, what little glimpses we see of, of the religion, how it's handled in dark in the show, appear to indicate a kind of a, a purely hermetic uh, ideology. As above, so below. That which, that which is above is as that which is below. Or <clears throat> one carries the universe inside them. In the microcosm, your soul is a reflection of the structure of the universe in your, in your heart, in your mind. Uh, changes to one necessarily affect the same changes in the other, in the different levels. Now we have the Big Bang, which says it started all, the big explosion and matter. You know, it sounds a lot like Genesis. Let there be light, and there was. The light came before the darkness. He had to separate the light from the darkness. In alchemy, that as the metals are breaking down, they change colors in the flask. Uh, black, white, red. And in a sense, the alchemist is reenacting the creation. But Neoplatonists, Kabbalists, believe in a universe of emanation. There was no something from nothing, creation ex nihilo. Uh, in Luria there was, but I mean, I know that's going to be even more confusing for you all. Uh, but that the emanations, the universe has always been. And you become more material and less uh, ephemeral as you descend into the matter of this world. Each level, each sephiroth, the light in each one of these spheres and vessels, decreases the further away from the source you go and weakens. And oh, this is a slight divergence. You'll have to forgive me. Um, in Lurianic Kabbalah, the world was created as it is now, a broken world, because those vessels shattered. So the light of the divine attempted to fill these vessels. But the vessels weren't strong enough. And as a result, when they shattered... It's why one has such a mixed-up world here, in this world. Because those vessels shattered and the light withdrew, for the most part. And as it withdrew, it left those vessels empty and shattered.
along with this, there is scholarship, which is only very recent. History of religions. There is a blurry line between being a scholar of esotericism or being a practitioner of esotericism because the practitioners are benefiting as much as the academicians and they're incorporating what the uh, academics say into their practice. And it's, it's sort of a give and take. Uh, the theological, the religious, uh, is influenced by the scholarly interpretation, etc. Uh, it goes the other way as well. Uh, esotericists approach the material from different standpoints. One version is they want to study history and they want to understand these movements without being in agreement or believing in it. It's just a field of study. Uh, like any level of religious history. Um, and then there are scholars who really do want to, through their scholarship, they do want to change the world, and they do want to engage with and experience the presence of higher forces. And oftentimes they'll use the research of historians of religion in order to strengthen their own, for lack of a better word, their own faith. Some esotericists outside of the mainstream of the academy, uh, people like um, Rene Guinan, their goal is to use their scholarship from the standpoint of being a practitioner with the goal of awakening, um, with enriching, with, with guiding people into this uh, esoteric ideology. And they subscribe to an interpretive scholarship, what uh, historians in the field call perennial philosophy. Now, perennial philosophy, what's that? It means that all of these different religions, it's, it's very new age, all these different religions are actually drawing from a unified underground stream where at a certain point all of these movements uh, whether it's Gnosticism, Neoplatonism uh, Christian Kabbalah it all ends up in the divine you end up being perfected you end up having a trace of touch of divinity at a certain point Um, in the show it has a different purpose and I'll say no more about the show and not till the next episode um, I'm going to pause for a moment I think very I've done a very basic sort of uh, kind of a hatchet job on explicating hermeticism and alchemy in the next segment, I'll go more into that. The episode that will precede this one, uh, the second one, as it were, to deal with the show, I give the title, Spoiler Alert. <laughs> because in the next 
next uh, discussion, I want to go through the show and explicate the different symbols and the plot points and how they, uh, how they draw upon some of this esoteric knowledge and this material to drive the story forward. I can't speak highly enough of Dark. I can't speak highly enough to recommend it. It's one of the best shows I've ever seen. Uh, very deeply philosophical. And it draws from unusual sources that someone like Ingmar Bergman would have been fully familiarized with, for in his movies there's a lot of this mystical, Kabbalistic uh, ideology. Whether it's whatever form it's presented in. Uh, the tarot, the tarot cards, tend to draw upon uh, the Kabbalah with a Q. And it's another way of constructing the tree through your tarot cards, through a tarot reading. It's another way that you can kind of divine where you are on the journey of enlightenment, evolution, to where you want to go, where you want to get to, which is union with the Creator. An experience of um, the sacred. Because I think uh, even though there's no, no God, these states of consciousness are experienced by people, and so they are valid. But if you're Jungian, they may be entirely confined to one's own personal inner psyche through their dreams or their art, uh, stages of development in, in correcting and healing. You don't need uh, a divine being for this to still be a valid experience of consciousness. Although some of the scholars definitely do believe in its sacredness now. And... Um, they are found suspect by the academy. Uh, the pure history, history of religion, history of these esoteric movements, is described uh, by non-religious, non-practitioners of these um, rituals. They try to fully explicate it in all of its meaning and its in its uh, connotations. And they trace the different strands of development up through the twentieth, even into the early twenty-first century. And there's a give and take between. Uh, the actual magic, the practitioners, and what they're writing and what they're doing, and the scholars. The scholars, and this has been the case for a long time. Uh, another good example of this is uh, James George Fraser's Golden Bough had a dramatic effect on the development of modern neopaganism, uh, where they drew pretty much their ideas about different forms of magic and different rituals from the Golden Bough and other writings. And they incorporated it into their religious worldview. Scholars are supposed to be unbiased. Uh, 
their goal isn't to say how the world should be, and it isn't to try to make the world as it should be made, according to their image. They're literally just documentarians. Um, very, very serious historical scholarship. And that scholarship has an effect on all of the religions um, in some form or other, which is, is kind of remarkable. Whether it's a Christian polemic against <laughs> black magic, or whether it's a uh, reconstruction of, a, of a, a pagan worldview. The work of a lot of these scholars is instrumental in, in these people doing it. In scholarly circles, you don't want to be a practitioner of these arts. The perennial philosophy, perennialists, are actively engaging in, in, the, in the work. And so they're going to come into it thinking, of course, well, my worldview is superior to all the others. And it's always been here since the beginning of human time. The mysteries have always existed. There's a strand of uh, religious thought that is accurate, proved accurate by its longevity, by its constancy. A sort of the new agey sounding idea, although more sophisticated in a scholarly way. The idea of all religions are one religion, and they all lead back to the same source. Which is how they can include it syncretistically all the different religions, whether they're living or dead religions. Um... I don't know. I'm okay, taking a break. I need to escape the bugs. Hopefully this came out. And in the next segment of the show, I will delve more deeply into specifics. And I'll try to uh, clarify everything I've tried to introduce here in the opening uh, minutes hour. I'll go back and do a better job with more specific symbols. Uh, and their philosophical explication. And I will return. Mm-hmm.